also read together Psalm 45. Psalm 45, page 471. The psalm, we see the title, To the Choir Master, According to Lilies, a Mosquito of the Sons of Korah, a Love Song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led among, along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Beloved church, it's good to keep your Bible open on this psalm. We have a lot in the psalm. And as we go through it very briefly, because of the celebration of Lord's Supper, it's good to have the words in front of you. And if you look very closely, and if you think about it, you could see that Psalm 45 is a treasure trove of doctrinal teachings. It has something to say about the inspiration of the biblical writers, like you see in, in verse 1. It has something to say about kingdom theology, messianic prophecy, the two natures of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Christ, the Spirit's work of converting hearts, the relationship between Christ and his church, and even the character of our marriage relationship. All that psalm we just read together now. In Hebrews 1, verses 8 to 9, which was the text displayed as we were walking in, Hebrews 1, verse 8, is a quotation of Psalm 45, and it, and it begins by saying that this is about the Son. And so it's clear that although on the one hand the psalm is describing a royal wedding in the Old Testament era, at the same time Psalm 45 is a prophecy that's talking about the Messiah, about the Son of God. 
And it's describing the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as the, bride, as the bridegroom of Christ. Describing Jesus Christ as the bridegroom of his church, which is the bride that he bought with his own blood to be with him forever. And so the overall theme of Psalm 45 is that God anointed his son to be a king on earth, to bring sinners to himself, to shine as a radiant bride of Jesus Christ in citizens of his kingdom. And that's the gospel I preached to you under the theme, Christ and his church, royal divine bridegroom and purified bride. And we first see the bridegroom, and that's the first part of Psalm 45. It describes the king. You see, in verse 2, he is called handsome because God had anointed him to serve the sons of men who are citizens of the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom. And so this king, we see in verse uh, verse. Three, he adorns himself, verse two as well, he adorns himself with gracious words. He has a glorious, a handsome office, and he uses gracious words. So that shows us that Jesus Christ is not a powerful, power-hungry tyrant, but he is a, a servant king. He does not need to put others down with his words in order to raise himself up, because he already has all the splendor and majesty like we see in verse 3. And then this splendor and majesty is further described in verses 6 and 7. And those are the verses that are quoted in Hebrews 1 verse 8. And in verses 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit reveals that the promised king is God, who is anointed by God. If you look at verse 6, you can see addressed your throne, O God. He's called God. And then verse 7, therefore God, your God, has anointed you. Reminds us of Psalm 110, verse 1, where the Lord says to my Lord, and Jesus Christ explained that as an indication of his divinity. And so we see in Psalm 45 an amazing revelation already of the two natures of Christ our King, who is God the Son and King David's Son at the same time. And he is the one who defines uprightness and righteousness because he is the lawgiver. And he is the one who loves righteousness as the law keeper, the lawgiver and the law keeper that is our king. This is why God anointed him to rule, to sit on his throne forever. In verses 2 and 7, you could see that the word therefore is used. It shows us that the character and the virtues of this king, this anointed one, qualify him to be king of God's glorious kingdom, which is unlike temporary earthly kingdoms that are so focused on power and control through information and money and weapons and technological advances. The people of God singing these inspired words to the king, they are delighting themselves in a completely different cause, the cause of God's anointed king, which we see in verse 4 is the cause of truth. 
and meekness or gentleness and righteousness. And as the church, we find comfort in the certainty of God's blessing. We see that at the end of verse 2. The scepter of God's kingdom is the scepter of uprightness, of righteousness. We read in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, that his kingdom is a place where righteousness dwells. And so this kingdom of righteousness, of truth and meekness, it advances when the arrows of the great king pierce the hearts of his enemies. We, see about, we read about the piercing arrows of the king in the psalm, and those enemies cause, are, they either fall away or they fall in line with the king in his kingdom. We see the conversion of the nations as the king of glory advances. And then as we look at the psalm as a whole, we see that the description of the king is meant to highlight his role as a bridegroom. He's described as handsome and not fierce, gracious and not commanding. And it's clear that we're at a wedding because in place of of blood-stained swords and the stinky clash of men at war in, in all their armor, we are given a picture of a sword that's strapped on the side for a ceremony with the joyful music of stringed instruments and sweet-smelling perfume and flowing robes and, deli- uh, and dignified, elegant princesses and queens. This is a psalm about God who is anointed by God in a beautiful union with his church who is presented in this psalm in the second part as a bride. You can see that we, at his right hand at the end of verse 9, we have the king, and then it says, at your right hand stands the queen in the gold of Ophir. Ophir is a place that's known for producing high-quality gold. And then we see that we're, we're reading actually of a, of a luxurious wedding. In verses 13 to 15, the church is described as a glorious princess who is led to the king with her bridesmaids at her side. And the gospel message is that the the Son of God, who took on human flesh, has brought the church into his glory by taking us into himself. It's like a husband is united to his wife. Because of Christ's love, the church responds with the words of, of Psalm 45. The response of the church is, is, Lead the way, O King. Lead the way in your wonderful cause, and, and we will follow you in truth and meekness and righteousness with joyful hearts. And the work of the glorious Son of God has wonderful benefits for those who incline their ear to hear the call of their husband, the the great King Jesus Christ, those who leave their father's house to commit themselves to him, to follow him into battle. We see in verses 10 to 11 of that call to to forget your people and your father's house and, and follow the king and he will desire your beauty. And it's this act of devotion comparable to the devotion of Ruth, that is described as the beauty of the church, which the king desires. And the Holy Spirit then exhorts the church, all believers, to bow before Jesus Christ, 
because he is our Lord to submit to him. And the gospel message is that whoever submits to Jesus Christ, the king, will be brought into his victorious kingdom. We will be given the, the right to share in the fullness of his glory and his dignity and his beauty and his splendor. And pointing us forward then to the marriage feast of the Lamb that we read of in Revelation 19, the church is promised shining beautiful robes of a righteousness that is not our own. Christ righteousness adorns his bride, the church, like many colored robes interwoven with gold, making her beautiful in God's sight, so that she may walk right into the palace of the king. We read of that, that being led, it's verse 15, right into the palace of the king, walking right in of the anointed king without feeling shame or fear of judgment. And then the psalm ends to remind us that this covenant of love that God established with believers is extended to the children of believers as well. If you look at verse 16, you read, In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. The relationship with Christ that you inherited from, your, from the generation before you through the covenant promises you received is passed on to the next generation. And so the church will be known in all generations and in all nations as the place where the Lord is praised, where the church is united to her Savior. Well, Psalm 45 reveals the glory of Christ, your King, your, your Bridegroom, to assure you that the heavenly kingdom of righteousness will prevail forever. And it's a warning for those who are persisting in sin, who are shaking their fist at Jesus Christ, who do not want to submit. The psalmist saying his kingdom will prevail. And it's also an encouragement to those who have left everything to follow Jesus Christ. And then that noble grace of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is united to his bride, which is the church, who wants to be led by Christ. It also is a picture of Christian marriages today. The Lord is working truth and meekness and uprightness into the hearts of the citizens of his kingdom as they seek to reflect the same relationship in their marriages. Husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church will also speak gracious words to and about their wives as they seek to emulate the humility of the Son of God who took on our human nature to save us from God's wrath and to bring us into fellowship with Him, to share in all that He obtained. And wives who love their husbands as the church loves her divine royal husband will be joyful and glad to follow, to submit, to be led by their husbands' loving Christ-like guidance. This fellowship between husbands and wives, it serves as an example of that gospel message of the union between Christ and his church, which is announced already in Psalm 45, the union that we also celebrate in the Lord's Supper. 
And we praise the Lord for God's divine anointed King, for He has brought sinners to Himself so that we might shine with joy and gladness in His cause, in truth and meekness and righteousness, and praise His name forever. Amen. We'll now stand, if we're able to stand, and sing together the last three stanzas of this psalm which describe the blessings of being the bride of Christ sharing in his victory and his glory. Psalm 45, stanzas 4, 5, and 6.